Well, hi, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, Happy Mother's Day. And uh, my mom has been in heaven for the last two Mother's Days, but I really appreciate all the uh, impact she had on my life. Um, And also the other mothers in my life, the mother of my children, my wife, Sari, and my daughter, Brady, the mother of my grandkids, and Cheyenne, the mother of my grandkids. So just really appreciate you guys and looking forward to spending the day with you. And, And the grandkids, right? Oh, and at, with that, I think we need to dismiss the kids to Children's Church. So kids, you're off to Children's Church. And so some of you are probably wondering who this is up here, this strange man that's, that's dismissing people to Children's Church, because I haven't had a chance to meet all of you yet. Uh, my name's Scott Anderson, and this is my wife, Sari. So she was the strange person reading the scripture this morning. Uh, we've lived here in Palmer since last September. Uh, we moved from Kenai. I know you can forgive us for that, but we did live there for, for many years. Uh, my wife was born in Soldatna, and when we got married, we lived there for 30 years. I taught school out at Nikiski High School and at Aurora Borealis Charter School. I was the football coach for 25 years. I coached basketball with Sari, and Sari was the school secretary out there. Um, so we coached basketball. We had some great times and some very challenging times together doing that. But uh, we were very busy people. And now that we're here, things have slowed down a lot. And we're kind of waiting to see what the next move is for us and where God would have us to be. And we've been, we've actually been praying about that just uh, a couple weeks ago. And Sari's like, yeah, well, you know, we need to be open to see what God's going to do. And next thing I know, I get this text from John. It's like, hey, do you want to speak? And I, uh, I guess so. So here I am this morning. So um, I know that if, if what I say, if it doesn't impact you this morning, I know that over the last week as I've been reading and uh, spending time with God, it's been, <clears throat> it's been a, a huge Im- impact for me in my life. Um, it's been awesome. So hopefully you get something out of it today. And I'll try not to get emotional. I tend to do that when I start talking about God. So just bear with me if that happens. So, All right, so we're going to be looking at a couple short verses today, and then we'll get into it. And I'll try to tie those verses in. You know, it's what I'm going to talk about. I don't know Greek like John does, but you know, that's okay. We'll, we'll do the best we can. So the first one is Matthew 13, 44. And this is one of the shorter parables of Jesus that he speaks. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but you start getting into parables and your mind starts going round and around and around. Uh, this one says, Matthew 13, 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. So we'll get in. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Uh, the second verse I want to talk about is actually, you'll see the theme here in a second, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And um, if you want to look at that one, you can. 2 Corinthians 4.7, again, another very short verse. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. He's had a really rough time, a really rough go of it. Um, But here's what he says to them. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not us. I don't know if you're like me. I'm 55 now. This jar of clay, clay, it tends, if it falls off something, tends to crack a little bit easier than it used to. But, you know, that's such an awesome promise to us that we have this treasure in this jar of clay. 
So let's go ahead and pray, and, and then I'll get into what I want to talk about. Father, I just thank you this morning for your goodness, just like that song was talking about. You are so good to us. I just pray that we could be focused and remember that always, that you are a good Father. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who's here right now. I just pray that you would just manifest yourself how you want to. I pray that your words would flow through and it would be you speaking. And I just ask, Lord, that the, the people today that need to hear your encouraging word about who they are would hear it. And they would fall and that they would be able to carry that through with them this week as they go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So both, both those scriptures kind of talk about something you probably see, it, and it's the word treasure. Now, the Bible talks about treasure. There's good connotations, obviously, and bad ones. We're going to be talking about the good treasure today that we have. We all, when we talk about things of the world, we all have little treasures. I mean, I watch my grandsons. They save their money. They put it in their, their bank, and then they go and they buy Legos. They put them together, and they display them. That's their treasure that they have, right? My wife and I, would go garage sailing all the time to find little treasures that we love. Um, my family, my extended family, we have these paintings that my grandmother did that, you know, they're not Picassos or anything, but um, they bring back a lot of good memories. So we kind of, you know, ingest, kind of argue about who gets which painting, and we display them in our different houses and talk about the, the different ones she did. And those are kind of a treasure to us, um, you know, from our, our past. So as humans, we have different reasons for placing value on things, right? Monetary, uh, something could be rare, um, very useful. It's just kind of handy. We're used to using it all the time. Um, you know, uh, lots of different reasons for that. Um, memories are, are another big reason. It just brings back good nostalgic feelings. So things are one thing, but when we talk about humans, we talk about other people, and we talk about ourselves. How do we place worth on people? How do we place worth on ourselves? Where do we find that? Where do we find that value? When we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror, you know, what is that person saying back to us? What are they saying? And that's a big question. Hopefully today you can think about that. Think about this question. Have you asked your Heavenly Father? Have you asked him what he thinks of you? Have you asked him to tell you, who am, I, who am I to you? I think that's a big question we all should consider. Because when we live in the world, it's pretty easy to start to really um, put our focus on things of the world and, to, and the scene, right? So I, I looked it up, and I was looking on Forbes magazine, which is you know famous magazine. And there was actually an article that said, here's the top ways that Americans place value on themselves. Here's the first way. It's by who you're surrounded by. If you're surrounded by important people, then you feel important, you have value. It's through what you do, right? It's your career. Uh, doctor, lawyer, right? I'm the big boss in this business. For me, I, I was a teacher. Well, you know, I'm guiding the, the young minds of the future, you know? So that's another way that people place value in themselves. One that a lot of people don't want to admit is how much money we have, how big our bank account is. Kind of a funny story with that. Uh, as a teacher, I was trying, trying to encourage kids, you know, you, you need to stay in school, you need to graduate. And I had this one young man at Nikiski that's like, I'm not going to graduate. And as much as I tried to talk him into it, he dropped out of school. And a couple years later, I was driving into the gas station one day, and this sports car drives in, pulls up next to me, and 
out pops this kid that had dropped out of school, and I hadn't seen him for years, and he was, said, well, hi, Mr. Anderson, guess what? I make more money than you do now. He worked on the slope. So, you know, I mean, I didn't know what to say to that. I mean, I, he obviously put his value in his money. So an, another one, and this is a big one, and we're all tempted in all these ways, I think, to find our value in these things, uh, is how much you achieve. You know, that's where, where we have the Puritan work ethic in America. Achieving is really important. Um, as a coach, that was a big temptation for me. Oh, we won a state football championship, and you won coach of the year. All of a sudden, oh, I'm coach of the year. And where's my value? It's in what I'm doing. It's a really big temptation to do that. And then the last one is it's kind of a funny one, is how you look, right? Well, I, I know God only made so many perfect heads that they didn't need hair, right? So that's, well, I'm kidding. That's not a big temptation for me. But, you know, we spend a lot of time on how we look, not just our physical appearance, you know, but like what we drive, what we wear, how we appear to other people is a big part of our, our value. If we appear good before them, we have some value. And we all know those are kind of fleeting things. What happens when, you know, the people that, you know, the important people you know are your friends, they, you find out they've been criticizing you or snubbing you, and that was where your value was. How are you going to feel then? Um, what happens when you're at work and you can't pass the exam to go on to the next level? Or, you know, you get laid off, you lose your job. What happens when that money you had, you fall into debt for maybe a reason that it's not even your fault it happened, but that money is all of a sudden gone? You know, where is your value then? Uh, what happens when you fail? What happens when you're a coach and uh, you lose a couple games you should have won? and you made a couple of bad mistakes, and all of a sudden you're getting criticized by the fans and the parents and even the players. You know, where's your, where's your value at then? And then, you know, the last one, obviously we know that our looks are going to fail us. <laughs> I'm a good testament to that. They, they eventually do, right? So, you know, where is our value when that happens? You know, all, most of us know the rote answer from Sunday school or from church, right, all years in church. We've heard it from pastors time and time again, friends, the Bible. You know, we know where our values is. Our value is in Christ Jesus and what he's done for us, right? But lots of times, if you're like me, and the way that I grew up was kind of like, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. You know, that's good. But, you know, I'm just not sure that I believe that for myself. You know, maybe for other people, but for me, I don't know. And so learning to kind of walk in that trust is a, is a big step. And we all have reasons for not being there, right? Galatians 4.6 says we are adopted children of God. Think about that. You're, you're a child of God. Um, he loves us with an everlasting love. The word everlasting, if you think about that, means that it's never going to stop, right? Sometimes we kind of skim over those words. He will never leave us or forsake us. What part of never do we not understand, right? He'll never leave us or forsake us. Um, we have been created through him or by him and through him, right? So he actually created us. Ephesians 1 says, he chose us before the foundation of the world, right? He chose you. He chose you. You are his kid. He loves you. While we know it's true, it's so easy to turn back to other things instead of keeping our focus on 
that, on the fact that we're loved unconditionally, that he is for you, not against you. It's so easy to kind of get our focus on the wrong spot or even start to think that, well, I kind of deserve what I'm getting. The reality is, is that through Christ Jesus, you are made through his blood and his redemption, are made holy and righteous, and the Father loves you and smiles at you. Um, but it isn't it easy to kind of look at ourselves? I fall into that all the time. First um, Corinthians talks about, interestingly, about fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And I think that it takes a lot of faith to do that, right? We are constantly looking at what is seen or what we hear from others instead of focusing on the unseen, and that's the reality of Christ in us, uh, that our Father loves us and he is with us, seeing us through. Um, one example I have for, for that is uh, when Sarah and I moved up here, we went from being super busy to, like, we're living in Palmer, we're kind of waiting for the next thing we're going to do. We get a lot of snow up here, by the way. <laughs> You know, it's like, wow, we have all the snow. We're not really outside people. So we need to have some hobbies. So Sari has been a big one for reading, and she, you know, started planting seeds for, to grow things. And um, so for me, I was like, well, one thing I've always been kind of interested in is coin collecting. Because my dad had a collection. I remember as a kid looking through his book, looking at all different coins, being fascinated by the faces on those coins and the dates and the, uh, everything that went with the coins. And going down to the coin store and, watching my dad buy a couple of them and being so fascinated. So I decided, I think I'm going to do some of that. Well, I'm kind of a frugal person, so I'm not going to go down to the coin store and start buying you know, $200 coins so I can have a collection. The way I'm going to do it is the hard way. I'm going to go to the bank, which I've been doing, and I found out you can, you can actually order boxes of coins. So I started with pennies. You get a whole box of 2,500 pennies for $25, right? And you can get a box of 2,000 nickels for $100, right? And it's the cheapest hobby ever. You go through, it's like you keep five, five of them and you take the rest of them back to the bank. You've spent a dollar and you've spent hours, right? So it's a really cheap hobby, so I really like it. Um, and my grandsons have gotten into it with me, uh, Orson especially. Uh, and so even Atlas and Rowan are three. They'll come up with the magnifying glasses and they're looking at the coins, looking at the faces and the dates and the, the mint marks on them. And, ooh, Grandpa, I think this one might have an error on it. You know, and so we're looking at it. Yeah, that might. So, um, But one thing that was interesting as I was going through this, God spoke to me one day as I realized I really got into nickels. That was kind of one I got stuck with. And as I was going through, what I found out that I was doing was as soon as I found a really shiny nickel, I was tossing that back into the bin to be taken back to the bank. Oh, that one's shiny. And I was looking for the old ones, right? And we had the book that we were kind of filled with the old ones. But the ones we would get really excited about weren't the shiny ones. Those are worth five cents, by the way, because they're brand new. You know? The ones that we got the most excited about were the grungy, dirty, smudged, just the, the worst-looking thing. In fact, if you found one, you'd be like, I'm going to use that one at the store as fast as I can to get rid of it because they're not very pretty. But when Orson and I would say, oh, there's one of those ugly nickels. And we'd get so excited, it might be one. And what we were looking for was something called a war nickel. Uh, what that means, a war nickel is, you know, between 1942 and 1945, the U.S. government needed the actual metal nickel to use in their ammunition, right, for weapons. And so they replaced the nickel 
and the nickel with silver. So from those years, those nickels actually have 35% silver in them. Um, and so the value of those in silver is 28 times the face value. So here's all these shiny nickels, the ugly one, the grimy one, the smudged one. The value is that much more. And it's not by what it looks like, right? But where's the value? The value is found inside the nickel. The value is found by the silver that's in there that's causing the oxidation and stuff like that. You know, isn't that an interesting picture for us? Think about us. I mean, we're kind of like that, aren't we? We've got our smudges. I know I do. We've got our dings, our dents, right? The dirt. You name it. We, you know, we've got it all on us, too. We're kind of like that. And imagine all the shiny nickels in the box, and we're the one that's the ugly, right? As we have the temptation to compare ourselves. Man, look at all those shiny nickels. They're all figuring it out. <laughs> but, you know, we're not looking in the right place, are we? And the funny thing about it is that when Orson and I would find one of those nickels, we would be like, oh, look at it, we'd see the date, and we'd both, go, we'd both go running through the house. And we're like, we found a war nickel! And we kind of run down the stairs, and Sari and Brady are like, uh, good job, nice, nice work. They're not that overly impressed by it. They try to act like it, but they're not. But we're super excited about it. We found one. And I just have this picture of that's how God is with us. Right? I found one. And he's talking about you. You know, and you think about that. Each one of those coins is unique. You realize that the treasure that's in you is Christ in you. But you are a unique, you're a unique representation of Christ because of your life's journey and the things that you've been through, the hurts, the pains, the dings, the dents, the smears, all of those things, Christ redeems you and you become a new creation, but just not a new creation, but you become a unique representation of him. You're now a tool ready to be used to help those around you who have been in similar situations because of the love of God is flowing through you, and he knows right where you're at. Um, I really like this um, paraphrase. This is in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. It's a paraphrase, so if you want to follow along, you can do that. You probably won't recognize it. Um, and this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, and he's really letting them know that, you know, they're not on the outside very perfect. It's kind of amusing in a way, but here's what he says. You might as well admit it, my friends. It was not your academic qualifications or your good looks or social connections that influenced God to represent you in Christ. It is almost as if God deliberately handpicked the wacky of this world to embarrass the wise, the rejects to put to shame the noble, the ones with no pedigree of any prominence, the nobodies in society attracted God's initiative to unveil his blueprint opinion in order to redefine mankind. Thus, he rendered any other social standard entirely irrelevant and inappropriate. Every reason for someone's boasting in themselves dwindles into insignificance before God. Of God's doing, we are in Christ. He is both the genesis and genius of our wisdom, a wisdom that reveals how righteous, sanctified, and redeemed 
we are in him. He is our claim to fame, right? So for us, having that focus of, I am forgiven, I am redeemed, I am righteous. Wow, all of that is inside of me. And, you know, it talks about pressing the cup down until it overflows. How can you not be that when you are focused on what your Heavenly Father has done for you? How he has made this treasure inside of you. It just, you can't help but flow out. Um, You're probably not the shiniest coin in the box, just like I'm not. But God's treasure is in you. You have so much value. You are a treasure in a clay pot. You have Christ Jesus inside of you. You're a unique expression of him. So quit comparing yourself to all the other shiny coins in the box and start focusing on Jesus, right? Now, we have a choice, right? I heard someone say that I don't become the person God says I am. I become the person I believe God says I am. See the difference there? I don't become the person God says I am, but I become the person I believe God says I am. So it's a question of belief. Sarah and I, as as basketball coaches, would run into this all the time. We'd have girls that would come into the program that would be just amazing, skilled basketball players, super athletic. And we would talk to them, okay, here's what you can do. Here's what you can do for the team. We believe in you. Now, go out and do it. And for some reason, they wouldn't believe that. And their performance never matched their ability or potential. And on the other side, we'd have players that were not as skilled. They were slower. They were not very athletic. But we would tell them, you can do this. We believe in you. You can make a difference for our team. And they would buy into that and go out on the court, and their achievement level was here. Because it was all a question of what they believed. They believed in, they believed in what we were telling them about themselves and what they could do. And I believe it's the same way with, with God. You know, I grew up in a really legalistic background. So I know a lot of people that are, you know, that, uh, well, you know, I don't know, you got to make sure you're, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the anger of God as well. Well, I grew up in that background. Uh, I grew up in a church where, it was in the, where I was in the boat one moment and out of the boat the next. The next moment, you know, because if I, okay, I'm behaving okay, I'm in the boat. Oh, well, now I'm out of the boat because I messed up. Well, now, okay, now I'm back in the boat for a minute and I'm back. So it was constantly this place of condemnation, right, and trying to, trying to get back right with God and trying to make things work. Um, I believed I deserved every bad thing, everything bad thing that would come my way, I, be, I deserve it because I'm not behaving just the right way. You know, God's angry with me. He's mad at me. And it seemed like the, the words of Jesus were always coming across like, you know, I, this would be me reading it. You know, Scott, are you ever going to get this right? I just, I just don't know if you are. Uh, I would read the, the parables, and what I would read in the parables would be like, man, I think I'm the villain of that. Is what I would feel every time I'd read it. I'm the villain of that, right? Um, so I, I just felt like I was not looking in the right place. And it really brought me to the end of myself. I, I got to the point in my 30s where I was like, I just can't, can't take this anymore. I can't walk in this anymore. And then God, in his grace and his mercy, started to shine through into my life and through different things that happened. And I experienced uh, the love of the Father. That was amazing. It's... Um, and I'm still experiencing it. And it kind of goes like this, right? You don't walk out of that background and all of a sudden you're there. 
It's a, it's a process of walking into that. But it is something that you can experience, and that's why I'm asking you today, have you asked your Heavenly Father what he thinks of you? Have you really sat down and said, God, tell me what you think of me. Do I, how, do I belong to you? And I think you'll like the answer if you do that. Uh, so when that revelation of grace came, it really scared me at first, right? And the song talks about freedom, but you walk in that freedom of God's love and things start to change and life becomes life abundant. You know, one of the things that has always stuck with me was because I'm kind of a dumb guy. So my wife, you know, she's pregnant. Well, my mind kind of didn't really, had trouble conceiving of, she's, you know, oh, there's going to be a child here. All of a sudden, though, we go to the hospital and she gives birth to Brady. And I remember thinking, wow, that's my child. I love her. I'll, I'll do anything for this child. In fact, I would lay down my life and die for this child. Well, what did Brady do to earn that? She was born. She was born as my child, right? That's how it is with the way God, you are God's child. When you receive Christ Jesus in your life, you are his. He says, you are my child. I love you. I will do anything for you. And he's, he's there for you. He loves you. And the, 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 uh, one last thing, well, actually a couple more things. I, I, I tend to not think I'm going to talk very long, but it ends up being longer than I think. So, um, you know, Sari brought home some, some trees from Costco last week, and it was kind of funny. She walks in, and they, they look like these sticks. I don't know if you've seen them, but basically there's just sticks. But she walks in, and we're like, whoa, and we're so excited looking at these sticks. But, you know, when I thought about that, I went, you know, why is that? Because we don't see the stick. We see an apple tree, and we see a cherry tree. We don't see the way it is now. We see what it's going to be. And your Heavenly Father, that's how he is with you. He doesn't see you. He sees where you're going to be, and he sees you on the journey, and he knows, well, that's my child. That's where my child, that's who he or she is. This is just where it is right now, and it's a journey, and I'm there with you, and I'm helping you, walking you through that. So it's kind of an interesting parallel there. And I just want to finish with one last little story. Um, and that's, I was at my grandson Jude's piano recital last week. We went to Anchorage, and, um, you know, it was really fun. We went in, and there's all these, all these parents sitting there, and there's about 17 kids that were going to do their thing, and they were, Jude went first, he did really good, we're really proud of him, and then I had a chance to kind of sit back and look at all the other parents out there and just kind of watch them, you know, with their kids, and uh, at one point there was a girl playing, and there was a boy, he's about 12, he's up on the stage, and he was kind of standing there nervous, because uh, he was next, and I saw him looking, he looked over on that, that side, and I was sitting over there, and I saw him looked over there, oh, he's looking over at his parents, his mom and his dad were there, and he kept looking over there. And eventually his dad looked up and he caught eyes with his son, right? And the dad just went like that. And the kid just smiled. And it didn't, he went over and played. It didn't matter how he played anymore. He just went and played. Because he knew, it was like his dad was saying, got you covered, son. We're here for you. We love you. We're proud of you. And then he just went and did his thing. I feel like that's what our Heavenly Father does with us. When we go into the world and we're, we're his representatives because we are unique, you know, in Christ, that he's going, I'm with you. I got you. 
I'm going to see you through this. And then we're able to kind of relax into that love and relax into who we are in him as that unique representative. You know, we need constant encouragement and reminding of this because it's so easy to walk back into those other things where we find our identity if we lose track. Sari's my biggest one for helping me remember because it's not easy. Last time. Something bad happens, my re initial reaction is not always <clears throat> the best. <laughs> but she's there to remind me who I am, that God's for me, not against me, and that he loves me, and he's going to help us through it. I have friends that remind me. Worship today was very powerful for that message, I thought. Um, spending time with him, meditating on his love. You know, the, the Old Testament talks about the Israelites had to go collect manna every day because if they tried to store it over, it would rot, Right? And I believe that's a picture for us. We need to be eating of him, of his goodness every day and focusing on him and then going out to remember who we are, what he's done for us. If, you, if you're like me, you don't have it figured out and learning who we are in Christ is a journey. We see through a glass darkly, but you know, I'm hoping that as I walk through life, the glass clears up more and more as I understand more of his love for me. And I hope for you as you go this week, you really begin to think about that and actually take time to ponder the Father's love for you. The, the word says that the Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So it wasn't as if the Father's angry with you and it's a good thing he had Jesus because otherwise, oh, it'd be bad news. The Father was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He was every bit a part of that participation in your redemption because he loves you. And with that, I think we'll go ahead and uh, I'll pray and then we'll sing. sing. Father, I thank you today for your goodness, to, <clears throat> your goodness to us, your graciousness. I just want to thank you for being such a good father and seeing through all my flaws and dings that, that you, through your son, have placed this treasure within me. That's just an awesome thought to think about, that you love me that much and that you love all of us that much. Thank you, and I just pray, Lord, that as we go about this week, you just help us to ponder that thought, that it would recharge us and put gas in our tanks and help us to walk into those that we know and walk into situations where it may be difficult and know, I know who my Father is. I know I'm loved. I know he is for me, not against me, and he is my identity. He is my value. He is this treasure that's in this jar of clay. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.